This is the final week of our series, What Do You Expect? It's a series about what do you expect when you come to Jesus? I was teaching a Bible study of about 50 men representing about 13 churches in the city. I opened the study with giving each person an index card, and I asked them, they had two scales on it, one for them to mark the uh, proclamation of how much they love Jesus, and the other was then to mark how much time they spent with Jesus. And then I asked the question, not out loud, but just for them to honestly assess, how did those two match up? And almost to the man in the room, they confessed it did not match up. Their proclamation for how much they loved Jesus did not measure out in how much time they spent with Jesus. I went on to teach a study on the communion, on our abilities to commune with God. The idea of God wanting to be with us, to speak to us, to be intimate with us. And I used the teachings of Jesus' relationship with the Father to make that point. And it was one of those times where you looked around and you just knew you're losing the room. A time when you looked around and I felt each time that more and more that I went on, doubt was coming into the room. And then even frustration came into the room. And finally, finally, a good friend of mine had the guts to express what everybody was feeling in the room. And he blurted out and he said, Steve, we're not Jesus. And you could tell everybody in the room agreed. And I waited a minute. And then I said, Does this not possibly explain why the disconnect between our two scales on our card? If we do not expect that God wants to meet with us, will meet with us, will speak to us, will lead us, why would we get up in the morning and give him our time? The purpose of this series is that we we know that what you expect to happen when you come to Jesus will ultimately depend or have a huge impact on how much you come to him and maybe whether or not you come to him at all. These three weeks are all for us to assess. What do we expect when we come to Jesus? The series has been with the hope to build our expectations on what is available to every single one of us of what will happen if we will truly come to Jesus, that we'll get to receive all the life that he has, holds, and wants to give to us if we will come to him. If you missed the last two weeks, please go back, listen, or watch. It's been an impactful week for our, two church, for our church. This week we've titled the message, He's Still Better Than You Think. <laughs> Even after all that we've talked about these past two weeks, actually since the beginning of our church, even after all we have tried to build in expectation and hope and promise that is available to us in the person of Jesus, even as we have, after we have elevated all of us to a point of huge understanding and expectation and enlightenment of all that Jesus holds for us, he's still better than you think. This week, I want to share with you an unexpected gift I discovered in my journey with God, one I did not know to seek, one I did not ask for, and yet turned out to be perhaps the greatest gift of all. I need to give you guys a touchy-feely alert. (laughs) I'm going to start talking about my relationship with God in some pretty touchy-feely terms. It's going to make some of you wince a little bit and maybe even squirm, especially you guys. I'm just going to ask you to stick with me, hold on. And you can go to Ale Emporium and get some wings and macho up afterwards, okay? 
<laughs> Linda and I have been married for 36 years together for 41. But it was 20 years into our marriage that I received a very unexpected gift. Our favorite vacation spot is a ranch out in Colorado, a dude ranch. One of the most amazing parts about that ranch is that you get to ride horses. And when I say ride, I mean really ride. We got to go on horses and gallop at full gallop through the Pike National Forest on trails that were on the side of mountains. It was frightening and exhilarating at the same time. On one of those rides, Linda had a horrible fall. Linda was thrown from her horse and landed in her arm and suffered a horrible break. When I got to her and what I saw scared me to death as she lay motionless on a Jeep trail. And I looked at her and she wasn't moving. And I looked behind her and her arm was behind her, horribly broken and grotesquely out of place. I don't even want to describe it. We were four and a half hours away from being able to get her any help. And the courage and the faith that she displayed during that four and a half hours is a story in itself. But for today, I want to talk about my journey in this struggle. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am fully aware of what I have just said. My wife has had a horrible accident. She is heroic, brave, and has faith. But let's talk about me. <laughs> but hang in there with me. I think it can be redeemed. Linda ended up suffering one of the worst orthopedic, orthopedic breaks possible. She snapped her arm in half right here and her humerus. It couldn't be casted because if they casted it, she would lose the motion of her shoulder and the rest of her arm and some of the other things uh, completely. So they could not cast it. And yet the bone needed to be held perfectly still because if the bones are not held still, then God cannot create new bone to mend it. So Linda was not casted, she was put in a sling, and she needed to be as still as possible until that bone was created and she would heal. They told us this would take a long time. It ended up taking over 18 months for her to fully heal from this injury. Here's where it becomes about me. <laughs> as I listened to the doctors describe the injury and the possible healing process and the length that it would take to heal, I began to realize what this meant for us as a couple. Linda needed to sleep sitting up for a long time. Therefore, we could not share our bed, which meant that we would not be able to share our physical relationship, which was a bond in our relationship that we knew held us together. Linda could not bathe herself. She could not dress herself. She could not do anything for herself. And she could do even less for our marriage and for us as a couple. On the flight home, I began working through all that this meant to us and what was going to be waiting for us when we got home. And I had a very honest moment with God as I assessed this and I said to God, I can't do this. I should be able to do this. I owe it to Linda to do this. But I know me. I know how selfish I can be. I know how impatient I can grow. I know how tired I get. I should be able to do this for Linda. But I know how much she does for me, and I know how much I count on that. God, I should be able to do this, but I'm worried that I can't. And I need to tell you, it absolutely frightened me that I would fall short in this obligation that lay before me, an obligation that was right and it was just. 
an obligation I should be able to fulfill, and yet I was certain I didn't have the strength or the steadfastness to do it. And you know what? I was absolutely right. I did have not either the strength or the steadfast to carry out what was in front of me. But that's where I got the unexpected gift, a gift that would carry me through this journey. We got home that night and I set Linda up on our couch downstairs because that was the best place for her to be propped up where she could sleep sitting up. And I got her all set up and then I started to walk upstairs to our bedroom and I couldn't. I couldn't leave her alone. My heart wouldn't let me. I went down to the basement and I got a sleeping bag and I set the sleeping bag in front of the couch and I reached up and I grabbed Linda's good hand and I held her hand and we went to sleep together. more apart than we'd ever been and somehow more together than we'd ever been. Over the next 18 months, I dressed Linda, I cooked for Linda, I cleaned, and I bathed her. In that 18 months, I received the most incredible gift. I had always thought that the greatest gift that I had in our relationship was Linda's love for me. And I learned in that time about an equally great gift as I learned how much I loved Linda. And it was that love that carried me through the journey where steadfastness and strength couldn't. I learned that it is truly a great gift to be loved deeply, but it is an equally great gift to love deeply in return. And it was 20 years into my relationship with God before I realized that this is the same great gift that awaited me for him and with him. Over the years, I had been more and more convinced that God did indeed love me. And that was life-changing in every way. But the gift that awaited for me was a realization of how much I could truly love God. In that journey, I realized that a truly full relationship with God holds two great gifts. Growing in the wonder of his love for me and growing in the wonder of my love for him. My my entire journey with God, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, could be described in this general thought. God loved me so much that he died on a cross for me and he gave his son for me. And in my response, my response was to live a life of sacrifice and obedience in return. And that's true. As I saw it in the scriptures, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep, my, if we keep his commandments. In my understanding, this was the pinnacle of my relationship with God, the best to hope for. He loved me, and in response, the highest thing I could offer him in return was my obedience. Obedience, the definition of compliance with an order, request, or law, or submission to another's authority. The truth is that where I was at in my relationship with God, obedience, those orders, those requests, those laws, those submission to authorities, they felt like an obligation. God did this for me, and in return, I needed to do this for him, to obey his rules, Submit to him. I later realized that I could get to a place where instead of obedience, feeling like an obligation, it could become my best friend. 
A friend because of knowing where those orders, requests, and submission to authority would ultimately take me. That obedience would ultimately take me to the guidance, safety, comfort, and love of Jesus. While obedience is indeed a part of the journey, I've come to realize that obedience to God is the gift of God that leads us to an even greater gift, a deep, passionate love for God. The Bible tells us that the law is good and right and that nothing has ever passed away from the law. But then it goes on to say that the law is our tutor in order to lead us to Jesus. In the same way I realize that obedience to God is our wonderful tutor in order to lead us to the even deeper love for God. As I continued deeper in the journey, I actually started to ask God this question. Is this okay? Is this okay that we're talking about love being so powerful? Because this feels an awful lot like emotion. And I have been rightfully warned that I cannot trust my emotions. In fact, I know I indeed cannot trust my emotions. So I started really going to God with this. Is this okay as we talk about this and as I feel this? And I heard so strongly from him. And I just want to share what I heard. First, I heard this. Steve, you cannot trust your emotions. But love and emotions are two very different things. In the very definition of emotion, it is tied to circumstances and mood. But love, real deep love, full love, what I discovered with Linda transcends circumstances. In fact, real deep love is the most trustworthy and empowering thing of all. It's even more empowering than obedience. Then God gave me two very real practical illustrations in my life that cemented these things. Two illustrations that I couldn't argue with. The first was, I have counseled with many men that are struggling in their marriages. And they have basically two different attitudes and they will come to me. One is an attitude of this. I am no longer in love with my wife, but I am a Christian. And because I'm a Christian, by obedience, I will stay in this marriage just as God has said. Now, I have to warn you, those marriages have very little chance of succeeding. And my experience, it's proved it out. Because when somebody becomes weary, when somebody becomes so tired, when somebody becomes frustrated, when selfishness starts to kick in, when someone else starts to pay attention to that man, he will fall out of the marriage because obedience can be worn down. On the other hand, if we can together encourage that man, no, love has indeed suffered in your marriage, maybe even died, but you stay out of obedience, but you do it to reignite and rekindle love. Those marriages I've seen survive and even flourish. Even more convincing to me, I'm sitting in a restaurant one time and God said to me, okay, Steve, we're wrestling with this emotion, this love thing. Okay, see that person over there? And I didn't know the person in the restaurant. I said, yes, that you don't know. 
If somebody comes into the restaurant and desires to do harm to that person or even kill that person, by my commandments, you are supposed to step in front of that person, will you? And my honest assessment in that very real question was, I know you tell me to, I know I would want to, but I know that at very least I would hesitate. I would have to measure the cost. I would have to think about it. I would hesitate. And then God said to me, now, if I put one of your children in that chair, what will happen? And my heart swelled. And I said, I will dive in front of that in no, without a second thought. And I felt like God asked me clearly, so which is a stronger motivator, love or obedience? And I could not deny that that love was even stronger than my obedience. And then this revelation from God. He said, Steve, the problem is that you don't trust in your love for me because you actually don't believe that you can love me as much as you love your wife and your children. And I was convicted. That was exactly where I was stuck. I couldn't depend on a deep, passionate, compassionate love for God because I didn't believe that I could be that in love with God. The unexpected gift I received from God long after becoming a Christian, the gift that has taken me deeper with Jesus than I have ever been on my journey before, is that I realized I can love God as much as my wife and my children and even more than that. I realized that the obedience to God was not the end point of my journey. Obedience was the wonderful, consistent, constant companion that would lead me to the even more powerful love of God. It was this deep love for God that drove the first century church. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressibly and full of glory. Now, this, mat, this revelation, it matched what I was beginning to see in my own life. Because what I was starting to see in my own life is I was starting to run in people, into people in this city, in this country, and around the world that loved Jesus. I mean really loved Jesus in a way that I had not yet fallen in love with him. When Andrew would come back from Baylor, He had a passion and a fire that I had not yet known. And God was bringing me in more and more contact with these people. And the truth is that as I was honest with myself, as I identified those who really loved Jesus, their lives looked obedient in a way that mine did not. The lives of those who really loved God looked even more obedient than me who had stopped at obedience as my biggest offering. Andrew, Heather, Chad, Karis, and others witnessed to me about the power of being in love with God. And as I read the scriptures that I'd read for so many years, I saw this encouragement to love was always there. It was everywhere. Matthew 22, 36 through 37 says this, teacher, which is our greatest commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord with all your, Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Deuteronomy 4.39, know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is God. 
Psalm 37, 31, the law of his God is in his heart. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that God shone in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. More than our minds, more than our strength, more than our will, God's call for us to come to obedience has been so that God could get to our hearts. That is where the power is greatest. As I grew in this understanding, I began to live in the truth and the power that released in this verse. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome to us. God's commandments, his rules, they're not an obligation. Obedience was not a burden. Obedience was a wonderful, constant, consistent friend, the tutor who would lead me to the greatest gift of all, perfecting the love for God inside of me. 1 John 2.5, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Our obeying is the most, our lives, our obeying is the most faithful. Our lives are the most powerful when our actions and our offerings are driven by love for God. In the ongoing journey of perfecting our love for God, God has manifested to us in a new and a wonderful way. John 14, 21 says this, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. Those are the promises. What difference did falling in love with God make in my life? What are the practicals? What did it look like? It changed everything. Everything. And I mean, it changed everything. First, instead of dragging myself out of bed to spend time with God, I raced to his feet with unbelievable anticipation and expectation that the one I loved had something waiting for me. I began to care less and less about being right and more and more about finding truth. That changed the way I related to my wife, to my children, to my friends. It even changed the way I interacted with the scriptures as I let them teach me truth rather than proving me right. I cared less and less about being heard and more and more about hearing others, not just hearing God, but I wanted to hear more from you because I realized God was so big that I could never fully understand him or have a concept of him unless I heard how you and you and you experience him. And so I listened more. I gave up my concern for rules, rituals, and traditions of serving God. I only longed for one thing, the person of God. I cared less and less about doing things for God and more and more about doing things with God. This one may sound dramatic, but it's true. I cared less and less about living a life well and more and more about dying well. Because I found that in the daily dying, there was life just as Jesus had always promised. This was an unexpected gift. I even found God's rebukes to be absolutely wonderful and amazing. 
God started waking me up in the mornings with pronouncements over my life. Steve, you've never done anything with 100% pure motivation in your whole life. It's like, okay. (laughs) A couple mornings later, Steve, you're very judgmental. (laughs) Sounds awful, doesn't it? It was the best. Because as God unpacked the truth of those things, it was so loving. Every single one of them was to set me free from something that held me captive. And I got to the point where I couldn't wait to hear the next thing. Hey, Lord, what else you got more? Steve, you're cynical. Yeah, yep, I got that. You're prideful. Yep, yep, come on, keep them coming because I got them all. And I would absolutely look forward to the next revelation he had because I knew somewhere in there he was going to set me free. What did this newfound love do against my ongoing enemies of lust, greed, and anger? Jesus gave us a lesson in the Gospel of Luke. And he tells this story. And he says that if you have something in your house, a demon, that you are to kick that demon out of your house. But then he gives a warning. You have to fill the house with something. Because if you don't fill the house with anything, then the demon comes back even stronger than he was before because he finds the house empty. So he's got plenty of time things to come in for. And I realize I think this is exactly what we're talking about today that Jesus was talking about. You see, you kick the things out by obedience. But then you fill the house with the love of Jesus and love for Jesus. See, before I fell in love with him, I had to set up filters and barriers and accountability partners up around my lust. But you know what I found out? My enemy always found a way around those barriers. And when he did, the house was empty and he came back even stronger than he was before. After I discovered falling in love with God, I have no filters. I have no artificial barriers anymore in my life. And in this one area, I don't have accountability partners. I travel all over the world by myself alone and I have access to anything and everything I would want and none of you would ever know. And for 25 years, that enemy has not been able to come back into my house. That's the power of falling in love with God. That's the power he has for us and wants for us. How? How do we fall more in love with God? Truth is, that's another message and probably an entire series. But in short, the Bible calls this journey the renewing of our minds. The God tells us that we need to renew our minds to this overwhelming truth. God is always good. He is always acceptable. He is always perfect. Even after we accept Jesus, we still have the journey, the wonderful and wonder of completing this belief and assurance that God is always good, he's always right, he's always perfect. The more we renew our minds to that reality, that truth, that fact, the more we fall in love with God and the stronger we are. Obedience is a wonderful, consistent, constant companion taking us on an amazing step-by-step journey. 
It's kind of a march towards God. But obedience, it has a role and it has a destination. The role of obedience is to renew our minds to the truth that God is always good, acceptable, and perfect. Because in that ongoing journey of renewing our minds, we fall more in love with God. And the destination is us at Jesus' feet. And when we get there at his feet, the march, it ends. Because there at the feet, Jesus just kind of looks and he turns us around. So his back turns him and he says, now, all I want you to do is take your left foot and put it on my foot. And take your right foot and put it on my right foot. And I'm going to hold you. And all I want you to do from now on is move when I move. That's all. We're just going to move together. There, with him, we are safely, wonderfully, and fully in the care of the one we love and the one who loves us. And I have to tell you, I'll end with this. I need to tell you that I have been hitting things with my life. And if I were still marching, I just want to tell you I couldn't be standing here today. As honestly as I can tell you, I stand here today because I'm standing on his feet. And he's holding me. Not my obedience, but my love and his love. He's always and still better than you think. Let me pray for us. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the picture and the scriptures that hold so much promise, so much hope, and so much power for us. I thank you that there is this wonderful companion of obedience. I thank you for the destination of ending up at your feet. I thank you for the strength and power that, and love that waits for us there. Help us to come, Lord. Help us to believe and to never stop believing until we arrive at your feet, where you will then hold us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 We want to be a people who respond to the word of God. Anybody just get a word from God? Awesome, that means we're ready to respond then. Uh, we always have these moments together because we just want to carve out some space before we jump into our, into our lives, into the rest of, I would say into Monday, but let's be honest, into the rest of Sunday. And we just jump in and before this all gets lost, we love to create this space to keep our hearts open before the Lord. It's not just another song. It's just not just another way to spend a few more minutes, but to keep our hearts before God and say, okay, Lord, you've put this seed in my heart. Now would you put it down in there? Put it down in there so that it starts to grow. And sometimes in these moments of response, you know exactly what you need to do. Sometimes you don't. But the good thing is that even these moments of response are about just letting God work in your life. What's important is not if you know exactly what to do or not. What's important is that we let the Holy Spirit reach into our hearts and just push that seed into the ground. Because the seed has its own schedule, right? And it may not be right now, but we've got to believe that no matter what God's putting into our hearts this morning, it's going to grow. It's going to grow and it's going to produce some fruit in our lives. Amen? As we had people praying before the service, 
They shared, with, they shared this with me before the service, and I thought, okay, I wonder when it's going to be time to share it. As my dad was preaching, I just thought, oh my gosh, of course God spoke this at the beginning of the service. Spoke these, these verses over all of us in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. I think this is an amazing response to the word we just got. It says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The folks praying, they, they got that verse and they said they also kind of had this picture in their mind as they, were, as they were praying of sort of like, you know, rats in a laboratory just running in circles in their cages and saying that so many times our, our walk with God, this obedience thing where, where that's the end of the day, where obligation is the end of the story, it feels like we're just running in circles in God's laboratory, just trying to do the thing, doing his thing, pull his thing off. Where does it all lead? We just kind of run in these circles until hopefully we get to go to heaven someday. But the picture continued where God was just making the point, you're not rats in my laboratory. I want to lead you in the way everlasting. I want to set you free. I want to set you free into the life I've called you to. I want to set you free. I want to lead you. Just like my dad was saying, I want you to stand on my feet so that where I go, you go. God wants to set you free this morning. And how does he set us free? He sets us free by us opening up our hearts, saying, okay, God, search me, search me. Know my heart. Is there anywhere in my heart? It says, is there any grievous way in me? What's a grievous way? Is there any way, God, this, is there anywhere, I, I just, honestly, is there anywhere I, I don't believe you're good? Is there, any, is there any spot in my life where I don't believe you're perfect? Is there any place in my life that I don't believe you're pleasing? Search my heart, God. Show me that so that I can turn from it so that I can turn and be led into this way everlasting. So as we sing this song, I wanna encourage you, open up your heart, invite the Holy Spirit to come and search you, to come and highlight, just like my dad said, don't be afraid. We don't have a spirit of fear. It's amazing how God makes us all come together, huh? He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Let the Spirit of God into your life to highlight everything that's keeping you in your cage. Even if it sounds offensive, he's just trying to set you free. If there's no way, if there's a spot you don't believe he's good, just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to be there anymore. I believe you're good. I believe you're pleasing. I believe you're perfect. We're going to have some people off to the side like we always do. If you want somebody to pray with you, uh, church is a great place to get it because you might not get it on Monday at work. <laughs> please don't leave. If you need to respond to God in any way and have somebody pray with you, please don't leave without having somebody pray for you. It's a great spot to get it. You may need to stay in your seat. You may need to come to the front. It doesn't matter because nobody else is watching you. We're all just going after Jesus in these moments. I just want to encourage you in these next 10 minutes, really give yourself to God. Open up your heart. Lord, come, search me. Search me. And if there's any grievous way, lead me in the way of life everlasting. Lord, we love you. And we invite you, Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, come into this place, Lord. We open up our hearts, Father, to welcome you and say, come and search me, Lord. Empty out my heart of all grievous ways of everything binding me, everything keeping us in our cages, every way we feel like we're just on this rat race with you and completely misunderstanding what this is all about. Search our hearts. Search our hearts and highlight any grievous way, Lord. And we give ourselves to you that we might be led in the way everlasting. And so, God, that's what we expect as we come to Jesus in these moments. We expect to be led in the way everlasting. Show us that you're good. Show us that you're pleasing. Show us that you're perfect. In the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.